0: For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at wearecitywalkca.
1: Good evening, Citywalk Church. It's really good to be with you tonight. Um, we've been praying that tonight would be. A time where we could just quiet our hearts and spend time remembering um, the sacrifice our Savior made for us. And so we just invite you to join in and lean in and pray that God would just quiet your heart and, and just enjoy this time together tonight.
0: Said, we're thankful that uh, just we have this opportunity tonight to really gather together, and we're thankful for the opportunity to begin our Easter weekend with focusing on the cross. And uh, in our society, whether someone is religious or irreligious, the cross is a symbol. You see that symbol, you see it on buildings, you see people tattoo it on their bodies, you see it on pieces of jewelry. You see it even on stationery, and, and the cross has become a symbol to both the religious and irreligious in our society. What's interesting is if you were to live in the first century, 2,000 years ago when Jesus was alive, the people of that day, if they were alive today and they were to see the cross put in all the places that we put it, it would be a little confusing to them because the cross in the first century was not a, a symbol that they wore on jewelry or they put on stationery. It was actually a symbol of cruelty. It was a symbol of of humility. It was a tool that was used to take people's lives in a way that was extremely cruel and really, really ugly to watch. And it it would be similar to, like us in this society, taking the electric chair, which would be extremely weird, and putting it on a piece of jewelry or putting it on stationary, a card that we were sending to somebody, or or putting it up in a, in a poster or on the wall. It would be something that we would never do because the electric chair is not a symbol that we're excited about or inspires us. It's a symbol that means death. It means something that happens to somebody that's committed crimes, which is exactly what the cross was for the very first century people. and And so for us, What we wanna do as we think about the cross is we wanna think about it from the perspective of what happened on the cross with Jesus Christ giving his life. And really that's the only reason that we can tonight call today a, a Good Friday, a day that we celebrate the cross. We celebrate a symbol that in history was used in cruelty and was used to not be celebrated, but if you're a follower of Jesus, you celebrate the cross because of Jesus and what he did. And really in order for us to understand fully why the cross is so important and why what Jesus did on the cross was so vital to our salvation and really our uh, relationship with God, it's important that we go back to the beginning. It's important that we start with Adam and Eve, and we we think about the special loving relationship that God created Adam and Eve for. When God created Adam and Eve in, in Genesis, he created them for two reasons. He created them to have a special, unique, perfect relationship with him. And he also created them to rule over the earth. But something happened. Something happened that messed up that relationship that changed everything. And what I want to do right now is I want to have Lori, she's going to read a portion from a book that we read to our kids and maybe some of you read to your kids. It's called The Jesus Storybook Bible and she's going to read a portion that talks about what happened that changed everything in our relationship with God.
1: The terrible lie. Adam and Eve lived happily together in their beautiful new home and everything was perfect for a while until the day when everything went wrong. God had a horrible enemy. His name was Satan. Satan had once been the most beautiful angel, but he didn't want to be just an angel. He wanted to be God. He grew proud and evil and full of hate and God had to send him out of heaven. Satan was seething with anger and looking for a way to hurt God. He wanted to stop God's plans, stop this love story right there. So he disguised himself as a snake and waited in the garden. Now God had given Adam and Eve only one rule. Don't eat the fruit on that tree, God told them. Because if you do, you'll think you'll know, you know everything. You'll stop trusting me, and then death and sadness and tears will come. You see, God knew if they ate the fruit, they would think they didn't need him. And they would try to make themselves happy without him. But God knew there was no such thing as happiness without him, and life without him wouldn't be life at all. As soon as the snake saw this chance, he slithered silently up to Eve. Does God really love you? The serpent whispered. If he does, why won't won't he let you eat the nice, juicy, delicious fruit? Poor you. Perhaps God doesn't want you to be happy. The snake's words hissed into her ears and sunk down deep into her heart like poison. Does God love me? Eve wondered. Suddenly she didn't know anymore. Just trust me, the serpent whispered. You don't need God. One small taste, that's all. And you'll be happier than you could ever dream. Eve picked the fruit and ate some, and Adam ate some too. And a terrible lie came into the world. It would never leave it would live on in every human heart, whispering to every one of God's children, God doesn't love me.
0: God created Adam and Eve for a special relationship and because of their choice to sin, because of their choice to disobey God, the question of whether God loved them came into their minds. The question of, does God really love me? Does God really have my best? Can I really trust God? That question and that thought came into their minds, and that thought has gone throughout mankind and has touched so many, many lives. That question of, does God really love me? And, and God wasn't caught off guard in the garden that day. It wasn't, he wasn't caught off guard by their disobedience. In fact, God had already put a plan in motion a plan in motion to show the world how much he loved them and to show the world that he desperately wanted to have a relationship with him. And so it was several thousand years later in the Old Testament, if you were to read through the Old Testament, you would see in every single book of the Old Testament, there's discussions and there's pointing to a a deliverer that's going to be coming, a Messiah, someone that will restore the relationship that was broken. And the Old Testament led up to when Jesus came to earth and, and Luke, a doctor, wrote about Jesus's birth. And in a verse that we usually talk about at Christmas, Luke chapter two, verse 11, describes the day the deliverer was born. Luke 2, 11 says this. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born. He's been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. And it was in that time that Jesus Christ, God's son, came to earth. He came to earth as fully God and fully man. He was born to Mary and Joseph and he grew up as a carpenter's son. At the age of 30, Jesus began his ministry And he made clear from the very beginning of his ministry that he had come to earth for one reason, to seek and to save the lost, to restore the relationship that was broken because of sin. And it was early on in his ministry that because of what Jesus was doing, because he preached a message of grace and truth, because he spent time with sinners, people that were, were involved in things that they shouldn't be involved in. And Jesus spent time with these people because Jesus challenged the legalistic traditions of religion that early on in his ministry, people began to want to take him out. And in fact, the religious leaders of that day began very early on in Jesus's ministry to prepare a plan to take his life because he was challenging everything that they lived for and their whole lifestyle. And what was interesting is while these religious leaders were planning to kill Jesus, they did not know that they were part of a much bigger plan. They were part of a much bigger plan, a plan of God showing his love to the world by sending his son. Three years into Jesus' ministry, he's 33 years old. He knows that the time of his death is coming and so He spends the evening with some of his closest followers. We know that as the Last Supper. He spends some time. He loves his guys. He shows them what leadership is. He has the first communion with them. And then at about 1230 in the morning, while Jesus is praying in a garden, a group of men sent by those same religious leaders came and took Jesus. Between 12.30 and 2 as he's praying in the garden, these religious leaders sent people to come and and take Jesus. And and from that point on, it started a 14-hour process that would lead to Jesus' last breath. And during that 14 hours, the first thing that happened was these religious leaders put Jesus on trial. They trumped up charges. They brought false witnesses in that would lie about Jesus. Then they took Jesus and they humiliated him, they spit in his face, they tortured him, they ripped out his beard, they made fun of him, and then when they were done putting him on trial, and then when they were done kind of beating him up, they turned him over to the Romans and they asked the Romans to kill him. They wanted him gone, and so they turned him over to a guy by the name of Pilate, and Pilate the leader of, of that area of the Roman, uh, the Roman army, he, he took Jesus and he sat down with Jesus and talked to Jesus. He asked Jesus questions. And as he asked Jesus questions, he saw that this guy, Jesus, that they want to see killed so bad, he, he has no reason to be killed. He's not done anything wrong. But Pilate, because he was a very insecure leader, decided, here's what I'm going to do. I don't want to kill him, but what I'll do is I'll I'll have him tortured and beaten and maybe the religious leaders will let him go at that point. Little did he know that the religious leaders would never let Jesus go. And so Pilate took him and he had him beaten. The scriptures tell us that they stripped Jesus, that the Roman soldiers tied Jesus' hand Probably above his head and they took uh, What is known as the cat of nine tails a whip that had nine straps and on every strap There were pieces of glass and metal and rock and they beat Jesus unmercifully To the point where the scriptures tell us that he did not even look like a human being Then they took a crown of thorns as a, a way to continue to torture Jesus and continue to mock him and they They put it on his head and the scriptures tell us that they took a a reed or a stick and they pounded it into Jesus' head. Then they took a robe and again to mock Jesus, they they threw a robe over Jesus. And that robe immediately, because his back was bloodied, it it, it, uh, stayed on his skin and it was tight on his skin. And then they ripped the robe off and it just continued and continued. And then those Roman soldiers gave Jesus his own cross and they made him carry his own cross 650 yards to the place that they would take his life. And Jesus was so weak because of the beating that he had taken that he he wasn't even able to carry his cross and so they had someone help him take that cross and carry that cross. And after 14 hours of torture and mocking, and being nailed to a cross. Jesus, at the end of 14 hours, in John chapter 19, verse 30, it says this. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And it was in that moment, when Jesus had taken the punishment for all the sin of all mankind when he said and he proclaimed from the cross, it is finished, the payment has been made. It was in that moment that God proved his love to us. There would no longer be a question, does God really love me? Because God had given his most precious possession so that he could again have a relationship with mankind. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. Paul says this, he says, For scarcely will one die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die, but God proved his love toward us. God showed his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul says, hey, somebody might die for a good person, Somebody might die for a righteous person, but God, he proved his love to us while we were sinners, while we were still running from God, while we were still holding our fists to God's face and not wanting him, while we were doing that. God proved his love to us and he sent his son to die and pay the penalty for our sin. In Ephesians chapter two, Paul says this, in verse four, he says this, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. We celebrate the cross on this Good Friday because it reminds us of God's great and unending love for us. God loved us so much and he he didn't just say that he loved us. God proved his love to us by sending his son and his son was the payment, the sacrifice for our sins. And tonight as we celebrate Good Friday, as we celebrate what Jesus did and how God showed his love to us and Jesus' sacrifice, we remember that sacrifice by taking communion. And tonight in living rooms all over our city, maybe you're watching from around the country somewhere else, tonight as we continue to remember the cross, we wanna take communion together. We wanna take communion together, and we want to, in this ceremony, we want to remember God's love for us and the beautiful sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross. And what's interesting is Jesus modeled communion for us. The the last supper that he had with his guys, with his disciples, he took communion and he told his guys that they were to continue to do this as a way to remember what he was going to do. They didn't even know he was going to die yet, but, but he did that and said, hey, I want you to continue to do this as a way of remembering. And so we have with us and and you there in your house you have your juice and you have your crackers or your bread And, and we take communion whether it's in a church or whether it's in a living room simply as a way to remind ourselves of the body and the blood that Jesus shed for us we have the bread and the bread symbolizes Jesus body that was broken for us I've taken just a few minutes to describe some of the things that Jesus went through that night. And Jesus' body was broken, and so we we take the bread as a way to remember with gratitude the sacrifice of Jesus' body so that you and I could have a relationship with God. And we drink the juice to symbolize his blood. We drink it to remember that it was On that cross, it was in that 14 hours of torture that Jesus shed his blood, not for his own sin, but for my sin, for my darkest moments, for what separates me from God. Jesus shed his blood for those of us who have sinned, which the Bible says is all of us. And so Jesus' death on the cross should be very personal. And and for us at City Walk Church, as you sit in your living room, maybe on your front porch, and you prepare to take communion, the only two requirements that the Scriptures give us for communion is simply this, that we have a relationship with God and that we have an opportunity to examine ourselves to see if we have any sin in our life right now so that we can get that taken care of, so that we can confess that to God so that we can take communion with a clean heart before God so that we can remember Jesus and so here in this room where I'm at uh, we have a few people from the band we have some people that are helping with the technology and so while you prepare and and get your juice and your bread I'm going to take this juice and this bread and I'm going to take it to them and then we're going to here in about 30 seconds we're going to take communion together and so go ahead and Pass out the juice and the bread that you have and I'm going to do the same thing for the people that are here with me. in 1 Corinthians when he's talking to the Corinthian church about communion and about this, this practice of remembering what Jesus did and remembering his body and his, his blood that he shed. Paul says this as we, we take the bread. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. It says, The Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember Christ's broken body as we eat the bread. same passage Paul as he refers to the juice and he refers to the remembering of Jesus blood he says this he says in the same way also he being Jesus took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me Let's remember the blood of Jesus and that He shed it for us as we take part in drinking the juice. Tonight, as we begin to close up our Good Friday service, we want to close up our Good Friday service in a spirit of worship and a spirit of gratitude. And so our worship team is here and they're going to... Just lead us in a song. We'll have the the lyrics up on the screen. And want to encourage you, just in the living room, wherever you're at, maybe you're you're watching this uh, from a friend's house, take this time to remember what Jesus did as you sing along, as you read through the words of these songs. And let's remember what Jesus did on the cross. And let's remember it from a spirit of gratitude. Because of what Jesus did on the cross on Friday makes possible what he did by rising from the dead on Sunday. And so let's remember that as our worship team leads us out right now.